Welcome to this week's Energy Show. It's my pleasure to welcome Chris Stern, one of the pioneers in the Canadian solar industry. Chris was one of the founders, as well as the vice president of development at Pure Energies. And Pure Energies started out as an installer in Canada, but then they began to specialize in customer acquisition, which is kind of an interesting transition. They had a team of 150 people using online techniques to identify and close solar customers. So they were finding customers, and they found that to be more valuable than actually doing the installations. So successful was Pure Energies that NRG acquired them. So Chris is now consulting as he evaluates his next opportunities, and, and I'm just happy to have him on the show because he knows so much about how solar companies find their customers. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much, Barry. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, good. Now, Chris is calling in from his office in Canada, and we're down here in San Jose, um, but I'd love to kind of get Chris's perspective on the, the whole Pure Energies story and how they kind of got started and then transitioned into a related business. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Barry. Um, so basically, there was, if you recall in 2008, uh, you know, when Lehman Brothers uh, imploded and a lot of things were happening, um, that evidently affected the solar industry. And at that time, we were all working in the equipment side of it. And um, at that point, things started crashing. So we all started looking for something else to do on the customer side of it because we recognized that energy prices were continuing to rise um, despite any any problems in the global, I guess, financial industry. So we decided to, um, to look at how to get into residential customer solar installs in Canada. And uh, what happened was in uh, 2009, the Ontario government, um, so Ontario is a province in Canada, they um, brought out the Green Energy Act, which was a bill um, that promoted 50,000 new jobs and elimination of all coal plants. So the reason for the bill was to try and get the province to um, transition from making cars and other things like that to making um, green energy investments. Um, with that uh, unique piece of uh, legislation, they brought up the feed-in tariff, which is um, basically feed-in tariff is where the, um, the utilities pay an above-market rate for different uh, technologies. So in our case, they were paying uh, above-market rates for residential solar energy. So we decided to start a company uh, that would find customers um, that had um, you know, suitable roofs uh, in, in Ontario and install, own, and operate residential solar throughout the province. And so the deal basically to the customer was, we're going to put some glass in your roof, it's going to collect some energy, and we're going to pay you some rent uh, to have a spot in your roof. That's essentially what we told customers, and we started renting roofs and installing solar power, collecting the feed-in tariff, and uh, paying them on a yearly basis. Um, in 2000, that, that's that's back in 2010. And then in 2012, we decided to um, expand our horizons. And um, in doing so, uh, through our experience in, in Canada by acquiring customers online through Facebook and Google and other uh, affiliations, we decided to pop out a, um, a company in California uh, called One Block Off the Grid to, uh, to expand uh, their scope. And so we acquired One Block Off the Grid and we um, and and we essentially turned them into the Expedia.com of solar. So offering customers many different options for um, getting solar onto their roof. And then you know as time progressed, we actually you know added uh, a lot of different solar websites, which we can get into later about customer acquisition, where we funneled a lot of unique users um, into our site. And then um, from there, we just grew the company to as you said to 150 people, where we were uh, recently acquired by NRG. 
So, so you kind of uh, started as an installer, and then when you bought one bug, you began to transition more to a company that was uh, finding customers. Now, now before you sold to NRG, were you selling these customers to other solar installers, or were you were you at Pure Energies doing all the installations yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. So, essentially, what we were doing was you know offering different leases depending on where the customer lived, which utility that they were um, belonging to what their utility bill was, what the credit score was. So we would offer them any any type of lease or power purchase agreement um, or cash deal from the likes of Solar City or Sunrun, or we had our own in-house brand, so uh, we would be the installer sometimes. And then some other companies you may have heard of, such as Sun Edison and uh, Queen Power Finance. Essentially, we were a marketplace for solar. Okay. All right. So, so you you acquired the customers, and then you, in some cases, sold those customers to other installers who may have better um, or more appropriate financing tools for that local customer, or who may be in a geographic territory that you guys weren't installing in. Precisely. Yep. Okay. So, so you touched a little bit about how you found those customers. You mentioned Facebook and Google and a, a lot of different websites. Explain how that works a little bit more. So. Essentially, the um, I mean, there's many ways of, of driving digital traffic. So, um, one of the great things about One Block Off the Grid is that they began operations in 2008 and um, developed a lot of search engine optimization. Um, so, a lot of um, when, when people would Google, let's say, solar installer or solar panel, um, One Block Off the Grid would get a lot of um, organic traffic. Um, because they've been, you know, around since 2008, which is kind of the beginning of the nascent rise of solar en- energy. So, you know, there's a couple of ways where you can drag people um, into your digital space, and, and one of them is through organic traffic like that. Um, the second way is for designing Facebook ads um, for people that are interested in saving money um, by adding solar to their roof. We would have, basically, someone would see a Facebook ad, they would click on it, and they would be um, put onto a landing page where they would, you know, enter in their information. Um, and then five minutes later, one of our um, one of our advisors would call them and walk them through the process. And um, and so we would have many different inlets for for this type of customer. As I mentioned, organic. There's Facebook. There's Google. There's Bing, and there's many different affiliations or different other websites that gather um, customers that are interested in saving money on their electric bill. So so you're creating this really big funnel of, of people hearing about um, your, your company, even though it wasn't identified necessarily as pure energy, and they would go to a website and then type in a little bit of information. Depending on how they came to you, you would either talk to them directly or maybe forward that information on. How, how did it... You know, um, here at Cinnamon Solar, sometimes we use uh, lead generation services, and they're pretty good. They can generate a lot of leads for us. And I believe that they get a lot of their leads also from this kind of funnel of generic websites or organic traffic generation. And then they sell the leads. Were you selling leads or were you selling closed customers? Um, we were selling closed customers because the, the thing about one of the interesting things is once you've captured someone's interest, you want to hold on to that person until you've run, come into a conclusion. If you sell the lead to a, uh, an installer, there might be some, um, some drop-off. So we felt that it was a better idea to have the customer commit to an installation prior to uh, handing over the contract. And um, how did you negotiate that contract? 
um, without going to the roof or without really understanding the customer's financing requirements? Great. That's a great question. So once they enter their information um, into the um, onto one of those websites, we would call them back within five minutes. One of the advisors would, um, you know, ask them where, where they live. Um, they'd ask them about their house, um, you know, roughly what they think their credit score was and, and walk them through the process to see if they actually qualify, um, you know, for a solar installation. How big is their electric bill? You know, questions like this. Once they pass that, I guess we'll call that the first hurdle, the customer would be invited to uh, walk, walk through a WebEx through many different proposals with one of our consultants. And then at the end of that uh, conversation, they would sign a either a lease, um, a solar lease or a solar per, um, power purchase agreement or a cash deal. That's pretty cool. And were you using some kind of satellite imagery to kind of show the customer what fits on the roof and how many panels they can use, things like that? Yeah, we had in-house uh, software. It's basically Google Maps on steroids with you know some tools to basically measure the roof and predict what type of solar irradiation um, would hit the roof. Mm-hmm. Once that was done and we signed the actual deal, a, a crew would go out to the uh, the homeowner's house and take specific measurements of the roof as well as specific solar information, um, i.e., you know, how much sun will hit that roof uh, over the course of a year. Yeah, it's th- those tools are, are very significant. We use something similar at Cinnamon Solar, and the big epiphany for me when I, when I started doing a more localized San Jose-based installations was that we can get pretty close to having a final proposal just from the satellite images, and the, the measurement accuracy from the satellite images was as good as uh, sending a salesperson or an engineer out to measure it. I mean, it was it was really good. The only thing that we would really have to verify is looking at some of the nuances of the electrical connection, the, the service panel, and things like that. Yeah, the other thing, there could be vents in your roof that weren't part of the satellite images when they were taken. There was all kinds of things that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I kind of like the the idea of um re- or, or of pure energies or of an entity selling closed customers rather than leads because the experience I've had with buying leads is that you know we may buy a a, a non exclusive lead for two hundred dollars and basically all that person has done is filled out some contact information and they're kind of a warm body um, and that lead might cost us two hundred dollars and and our close rate on those since they're competitive and the customer is not that um, filtered it might be less than one in ten so effectively would be paying over $2,000 for getting that customer. Whereas if we were working with your service or a comparable service and you were to sell us a closed customer for a thousand bucks, that's twice as good. Um, and, and it's yeah. a, it's a nice, nice way to kind of build a business. Yep, absolutely. So what kind of geographic territories were you covering? I mean, you started in Ontario and ha- how did you manage that expansion into the U S yeah, through our, uh, acquisition of one block off the grid. Um, we added uh, several different solar lease providers and we ended up in, you know, California, Washington, Oregon, um, Texas, Connecticut, New York, Mass, uh, D.C., Maryland. You know, there's there's about 14 or 15 states of Hawaii, um, you know, where we were operating. Yeah, and, and it's nice because you probably were able to coordinate all that from your office in Canada and also whatever you had remaining in San Francisco at OneBog, um, and you didn't have to deal with all the bricks and mortar of installation crews in all those states, which was one of the biggest headaches I used to have. Yeah, that, that's, exactly, that's precisely how we saw it. I mean, we kind of learned in Ontario what it is to uh, open up a construction company, and um, we wanted to uh, 
create value by finding customers rather than installing customers specifically. Yeah. My, my experience was opening up a construction company. There's a little bit of an investment, you know, depending on the size. Um, but, I, but I had to do it 20 times. And, and in many locations, I had to do it twice or three times. I mean, we, we opened in New Jersey and closed and opened and closed because we were following the incentives. And when the incentives go away, the value of that local construction company just goes to actually becomes negative because you've got leases, yeah. you've got to dispose of equipment, you've got employees that you got to take care of. So it's very tough to kind of staff up and down, up and down to chase these markets. Whereas if you've got more of a, a remote business, uh, like you did at, at Pure Energies, that makes so much more sense. Yep, that's exactly how we saw it. You're smarter than me. It's good, good move. <laughs> no, I think necessity was the mother of all invention, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So, so t- tell me about. Uh, what, did you find any kind of a difference in the approach you had at, at Pure Energies between relatively mature markets like California? And then brand new markets, you know, some state, North Carolina or, or whatever, they have a big incentive and suddenly everybody wants solar, but nobody has solar. H- how did that vary as far as the customer's impressions of rooftop solar? It's interesting you ask that. Um, so 40% of the market in the United States right now is California. And our market share uh, for the deals that we were signing was less than 40% because there was a lot of, a lot of chatter and a lot of people all going after the same customer. You know, California, you'll have a client have five or six different quotes. And and essentially, it's a very overheated market. When you go to a different market, let's let's say such as North Carolina, you know, there's less people there. So it's you spend more time with them, but there's a more there's more opportunities to actually have them go solar. You know, you have to explain everything from the ground up because they're they're not used to seeing it. So it's it's it needs to be explained. So, yeah, that, that's been my experience, too. I mean, at least in California here, a lot of times it's competitive and, and customers know SolarWorks and they'll get two or three different quotes and they'll compare it. And it makes it a little bit tougher for the installer to get that job. Whereas a dozen years ago when I started out here, it, there was a lot more explanation necessary. But once the customer engaged with us, the close rate was very high. They, they basically, we were the one explaining what solar was about and they would go to us and they wouldn't even know that there was other alternatives. And I guess that's the same thing in new markets that, um, you, you, uh, you really do see that it's the first, the first contact is the one that's actually going to close the customer. Yeah, I agree. One of the other interesting things that I've seen pretty recently, and, and you mentioned it's, it's very competitive here and your market share was a little bit different than what, what you'd expect based on the size of the market is that. Uh, a lot of the smaller installers are starting to get the, 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 let me, let me phrase this a different way. The market share of the really big installers isn't growing as fast as it used to be. In other words, the market, there's a lot of small guys that are coming and saying, Hey, we're local, we can do the solar and you don't really need a, you don't really need a big company. I, I think that's the case in mature markets. Whereas in new markets, you really do need that big corporate entity that has the horsepower to go out and, and blast everybody with information and then have a call center to talk to the customer that's going to start generating that, that market interest. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it'll be a mature market eventually, and it's just like, you know, getting a new furnace or a new HVAC system, right? You just call whomever, and they come and do it. Yep. Um, You know, I I see solar power eventually becoming like that. Uh, It'll just be another one of those items in your house um, that you need to have. And, you know, new home builders, it'll come fresh with your house uh, when you buy a new house. And then, you know, with with an existing house, it's just one of those things you need to get done in the next couple of years or right now. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And that's the, the hope and the expectation that, that we've all had. And if, um, if there's any listeners here who work at a utility, uh, you don't want to listen to what we had just discussed. But yeah, solar is definitely going to be a standard part of the house, just like uh, a furnace and a chimney and an air conditioner. And it's going to 20 years from now in mature markets, it's going to be a replacement market. I mean, there's going to be maintenance services and updates, but everybody's going to have rooftop solar if, they're, if they have a sunny roof. That's, that's just a, that's what we're striving towards. And that's where we'll be. So, yeah, and it's, it's not to, it's, and it's not to say that we don't need the grid. I mean, the grid is an excellent place to store energy as well. So I think, you know, the solar industry and the utilities are working hand-in-hand, and they will continue to work hand-in-hand uh, in the future. Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes that's the way they, they are. It's hand-in-hand, but in the other hand, there's a, there's a knife. Uh, so. <laughs> Unless you're, you're in Arizona, and then it's all the <laughs> yeah, It kind of comes and goes. So um, it's, it, it's a, an industry that is in the process of changing. Well, n- now that we're talking about the markets, how's the market in Ontario and other Canadian provinces different than what you've seen in the U.S.? Well, I mean, in Ontario now, we've had the feed-in tariffs since 2009. Um, so there's, you know, tens of thousands of homeowners that have solar on the roof. There's, um, I think it was up until recently, the world's largest ground mount uh, is located in Ontario. Um, so people are quite familiar now with the, um, with the um, you know, solar power. The biggest difference between how it works in the U.S. versus Ontario is that in Ontario, we have the feed-in tariff where there's two meters on your house. You've got your consumption meter, so uh, whatever you consume in the house, and then you've got your production meter, which is whatever you produce on your roof that gets sent back to the grid. That's how it works in Ontario. The utility pays you uh, a certain amount per kilowatt hour for the electricity that you produce and send back into the grid. Um, in the United States, um, and this varies from every state, depending on which incentives um, and what, what net metering rules are, essentially the way it works in the States is that you, you are going to turn the meter backwards. So, um, you know, you consume electricity, but you also produce it, and it's all going through the same meter. Uh, so, essentially, solar power reduces your electric bill. Yeah, it's a, it's a different way of uh, creating incentives and measuring. Uh, just just out of curiosity, obviously, Canada Canada's more of a northern climate. Have you seen any difference in terms of the cycle of installations that go on in Canada versus, say, down in California? Uh, it does get tough in the winter. Um, you know, this last two winters in the northeast, as you've probably heard, have been pretty brutal. Um, so, you know, it does slow down from December to uh, February. Um, but people still, installers still shovel off roofs and and um, and and get things done. But it's not as it's not as easy as it is in the summer. And in the summer, the other thing is that we have 13, 14 hours of sun. Right, the sun gets up at five thirty and goes goes away at eight. So there's you know there's a lot of time to actually do work. Whereas in you know in the in in, in the winter, not only do you have the snow and the ice, but you know you're only able to start work at eight o'clock and you got you got to finish by four. Type yeah. Of thing. Yeah, it makes a difference. I, I remember doing installations in, in Connecticut, New Jersey, where the first thing we would do, we would be heating up the van and heating up the roof sealant because it would all be frozen. <laughs> but um, we would keep you know keep trying to work as long as the conditions were safe. So so let's talk a little bit about credit scores and and financing options. How, how does it vary with with customers dependent on different credit scores? Does that does that change their options for solar financing? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the because the industry is, I guess we'll call it fairly new, they, they're very concerned about people's credit scores and ability to, you know, take on a, a li- take on something like a solar power system. So 
you know, in, in most cases, uh, a lot of the solar leasing companies or solar power purchase agreement companies are asking for a credit score of 700, um, which is a fairly good credit score. And, you know, it, that can go all the way down to 650 um, for some different type of products out there. So essentially, sometimes people don't have those credit scores and it's more difficult for them to get solar. In those cases, they have to um, do cash deals or have some other sort of financing type of application. This, I believe that this the credit score, you know, I guess I call it the hindrance because it, it removes like many of your customers or your potential customers. It'll eventually go away um, if utilities ever get behind um, the solar industry and, and help finance it. And the reason I say that is because it doesn't matter what your credit score is. If, if, if the utility shuts off your power because you didn't pay your bill, you know, you're pretty quick to pay that bill. Yeah. Your yeah. Power back. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a talk about on bill financing and, you know, it's pretty much guaranteed that you're going to pay for that system. Otherwise the lights go out and uh, you, you've got nothing. So, so a lot of our radio listeners are homeowners. What advice do you have for them in terms of shopping for solar? Yeah. I mean, I would do your, uh, do your homework. Um, you know, you can look at the large installers and many of them are, are, are operating much much better than they were a couple of years ago, where it would take a long time to get something installed. You know, look at the big installers, but also don't don't neglect the smaller installers because they they will give you that extra service, especially if you want to own your own system. So, one of the big decisions you have to make besides looking for installers is looking for what you want to have. the The best deal for you as a consumer is to own your own system. You know, with the tax credits and you know with the cost of an installation today, it's it's it, it works out to be the best for you financially. If you don't want to worry about the installation and have somebody else take care of it for, for 20 years, then you can go with the solar lease or a solar power purchase agreement uh, situation. The, uh, the, the, the economics aren't as good, but it's one less thing to worry about, let's say, for example. Yeah, when I, you know, we're, we're a local installer, and I basically give people the same advice. Love if they uh, go with a small local installer, but we specialize with in cash and bank financing. We don't do leasing for, for a variety of reasons. I won't get into it. So if you really do want to lease a system, um, the big guys do that. The thing to remember is that the equipment you're going to get, the, the savings you're going to get are going to be about the same. And the big difference is that uh, the, the payments you're going to make on a lease or a PPA over the life of the system are going to be a lot higher than if you pay cash. So so that works. Well, well, we're getting towards the end of the show, and I'm just curious about how you got into the solar industry. Give me a little bit of background story about Chris Stern. <laughs> Thanks. Well, actually, you know, um, I was in the automotive industry before and um, some of the capital equipment, and I got tired of dealing with people in the automotive industry. So I, I, I started, uh, I went to a company that uh, was selling DVD and CD making materials all over the world. And this was in 2005, you know, just after Napster was kind of attacking the CD and DVD industry. And they decided to hire me to look at different industries to get into um you know, to expand their business. And I identified the solar industry as a place to be. So I started to uh, develop a business for them in materials that make solar cells and modules. Um, and uh, it kind of went for there. And then and, and you and I met on a bus in Beijing in 2006. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, we were part of a solar tour that was organized by Solar Plaza way back then and uh, got to visit all of the nascent Chinese solar manufacturers, uh, and, and most of whom right now are, are the biggest manufacturers in the world. So, um, last question: What's your favorite Chinese beverage? Um, 
King Cow, the beer. <laughs> <laughs> the beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we consumed a lot of that. All right, well, great, Chris. That's all the time we've got on today's Energy Show, and thanks for joining us on the show, and thanks for all of our listeners for joining us also. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcast. 